Hey everyone, welcome to the Landlord Association podcast. I'm your host, George Gao. This is a podcast by the landlords and for the landlords in the greater Houston area. We'll discuss tips, strategies, techniques to help our listeners to be more educated and ultimately become more successful rental property owners and investors. Hello everyone, welcome to episode 9. This was recorded at our last monthly meeting when we invited Han Doe and Richard Blanchard from the Loan Factory, where they closed more than 60 loans last month. Because it was recorded at the meeting, I have to warn you, some of the questions didn't come out, but you understand the gist of it based on Han and Richard's response. They also walked through a couple of handouts, but they're not necessary to follow the conversation. But if you want to get the handouts, feel free to contact Han and Richard, and I'll provide the detailed contact information at the end of the show. During the meeting, we touched on so many different topics, everything from how to show more income on Schedule E due to depreciation and one-time expenses, how to buy more properties without a W-2, house hacking, how to improve your credit score, what impacts them and what doesn't, and what's a rapid rescore, how disputes affect your credit, programs for foreign buyers, what to do if you have more than 10 conventional loans, and other guidelines that many people have not heard about. We had to edit the conversation down a little bit due to the length, but if you want to learn more and hear about all the backstories, give Han and Richard a call and they will fill you in. Please enjoy our discussion with Han and Richard from the Loan Factory. Thank you everyone for making the time out of the busy schedule to be here with us. Uh, this session we invited Han Dao and her partner Richard, and they're all from their partners from Loan Factory. They started the company together and they've been doing great. Average closing about 50 loans. Per month, yeah, which oh. is great. And then the both of them have been working for Wells Fargo. Uh, I was with Wells Fargo for about a year, okay. And a half, but Richard's like a long time, right? I'm sorry, okay. Yeah. So, you guys have really good knowledge about underwriting rules and creative financing and different loan programs. So, today, just get ready with your questions and get smarter at the end of the session. So, okay, without further ado, I'm gonna hand over to Hong and Richard for a speech. Richard, you want to go first? Anyway. If you can have a brief introduction about yourself and your experience, that would be Yeah, great. sure. So I know you guys here, probably most of you are landlords, so I just want, I guess this is kind of tie that. Um, here I um, I graduated from college and then I had a, have a family, I started a family and I have kids and I stay home during that time. So and that was during 2009, 10, 11, and 12. So my husband was uh, my husband's working full, you know, W two, so I was just staying home, and then I see the opportunities in the real estate market. So during that span of time, uh, we bought like three or four years. We bought five houses. So I was staying home, and then I do all the financing. So and then I start work, uh, and then five years later, I start working for Wells Fargo as a banker, and then I became the licensed banker, meaning that I have, you know, like all the series uh, about uh, investment stocks and stuff so um, but then the person that I refer the mortgage to at Wells Fargo he became the branch manager there for mortgage and he say Han you know I think you should you know come over here and do this so as a banker you know the hours from 9 till 6 and then working on Saturday so I feel like the flexibility I didn't know what I'm getting myself into you know like I usually tell my husband when you go to school you get a engineer degree you know a nursing degree you don't get a mortgage degree by going to school four years right so um, I got into that and I love it I closed my first deal when I was my first well I, I my first deal was I was sitting in the first week of training that I got my first deal from Facebook and 
I was very lucky because the realtor that closed on that deal with me, he's uh, one of the top realtors in Houston. So I was just luck out. So and I got into it, and um, I was with Wells Fargo Mortgage for about a year. But then I just learned that there's so many things, you know, overlays and difficulties that I couldn't close loan. And I want, you know, I, I want to learn. And I want to know more. So um, I was looking for a company that I'm gonna join. So. I sent my record. I was closing about 15, 16 loans uh, every month with Wells Fargo. So I sent my uh, record to different companies here, many different companies. So I went and interviewed with them, and then I decided to stay with Loan Factory because I was going online to see which company closed the most loans and why. And I, I read about, you know, I read about them. So Loan Factory, um, they care about the customer having the lowest cost, have the technology and they do on volume, so the more loans we they close, the more passing they can give to the borrowers, and I was checking their pricing. So I went to many different lenders, and I look at their pricing, I priced the same loan, jumbo, conventional, FHA, VA, I priced all of them, I wrote them down, and Loan Factory consistently have the best rate, like, by far. So I was like, that's it, that's, that's the company that I want to join. Of course, the comp, you know, the pay is less, but I feel like that's, that's what I want. So I was in line with Juan Nguyen, he's the president of the company. So I called him up and we talked and we just like, yes, this is the, the direction of the company that he's going, that's what I want to be part of. So I joined Loan Factory about March 2018. And um, the first month I closed 15, then 20, 27. So, but last month we closed 65. Wow. My, myself and my team. We have some independent LOs, you know, they close a few too, so they great. So, um, so yeah, um, you, so yeah, that's pretty much about me. So, Richard. Wow, I, uh, <laughs> I started out at save, Home Savings or Savings of America. Um, yeah, I've heard about that. And that, that was probably the, my favorite place to ever work, except for Long Factory, of course. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it was just back in the day. Um, it was like the early '90s, and and we didn't have really a, a competitive fixed rate product. So we were you know, we had the option arm, which um, was about two percent below what a fixed rate would be. It's people just had to get over the fact that it could adjust along the way. Um, and uh, we also had another dynamic, which you never see today, is where the uh, the manager, the lending manager for the office, could actually approve loans. Mm. And so, yeah, we that was the you know, we say, hey, we got this realtor, and then we want to impress them, and and uh, it was it, it was it was great. And then they got bought out by Wamu, and uh, then I went to work with Norwest, which became Wells. And uh, it's yeah, like you're talking about overlays. Um, the, the kind of things that we would you know, have conversations with underwriters and he, he'd say, yeah, Richard, I, I want to do this, but, you know, the, the CFPB is going to come in and they're going to like, you know, they're already, you know, on, on us all the time and, and uh, they're not going to not going to like it. Gonna have, we're going to have a lot of explaining to do on this on this decision. And, and, and a lot of other things, too. It's like when when we at Loan Factory can run, we have a choice between running, you know, Freddie Mac or Fannie Mae or, you know, other, other options, but uh, it, at the banks, they always will take the more conservative uh, approval decision for documents and everything else, and, and so uh, it's nice being at a place where you can, you know, you can have the kind of flexibility to give 
you know, the, the, the least documentation needed and, and at, a, at a great rate and, uh, and a great customer experience too. I mean, you, you close things fast here. Um, you know, there's teams working all over the country and uh, it's, it's been a good formula. And I've, uh, yeah, I've just been impressed with, uh, with, with the technology piece and uh, the fact that, you know, they can adapt too. I mean, if, if change, it doesn't take long to, to make a change in, in our system, whereas, you know, bigger companies, it just takes, it takes sometimes years to make a change. Uh, so it's, and then these days, the way the market's changing so fast, you, you need to be able to have that ability to move and pivot on a dime. But uh, yeah, that's that's me. I, I also play in a rock band. Uh, I'm lead guitar player for Borrowed Time. <laughs> we haven't played in a while though. <laughs> but, uh, and the drummer is, uh, he's the area manager for uh, ABVA Compass. When we say some lingos or when we say overlays, do you guys understand what that is? Okay, so um, overlays is like, um, it, so when you, um, I'm trying to think of something that's very, okay, so overtime, you know, a lot of people have overtime, guidelines, wordings, and when I say guidelines, do you guys understand what that is? Okay, it's like Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac. They are the two biggest investors, right? They have their own guidelines. So we all sell loans to them. So the, a lot of uh, misunderstanding is that they say, oh, we want to go to the bank. We don't want to go through you because the bank going to keep my loan. That's not true. No bank's going to keep your loan. They're all going to sell it to investor. They may service it or they may sell the service to somebody else. Okay. You close the loan with Wells Fargo, doesn't mean that your loan stay with Wells Fargo. No. Okay. So overlays mean guidelines, wording say, when you have overtime, they want 12 to 24 months of overtime. 12 to 24 months, so you can use that overtime. But at Wells Fargo, you have to be over 24 months, two years of overtime, for them to be able to calculate that overtime income. What is overtime? Uh, say you work 40 hours a week, but oh, sometimes you work the overtime, yeah. So, um, so say you work, you have been working overtime for 12 months, so some big banks can't close you because that's the overlays. On top of what the guidelines are and is, they add things on top layers of that. So you have to satisfy that too for them to be able to close the loan. Oftentimes they'll also add, you have to have additional reserves when it's made not necessarily be required. Like, oh, we want to see that you've got you know, a couple months extra. Mm -hmm. and, Jimmy, do you have a question? Yeah, um, you talked about uh, kind of your process compared to a builder's lender. Um, yeah, it um, it really depends on the builder, and sometimes it depends on that builder, but at certain different communities. So I know that some builders at this community they partner with one lender, at another community they partner with another lender. So um, so say you go to a builder and they say, well, use my preferred lender. I'm gonna give you five thousand. Okay, that sounds great. Most of the time you say, what's your rate? And they say, well, the house is being built. I can't really give you the rate. Yeah. I just wait, you know. Three weeks late, you know, three weeks before closing. I'm just throwing out a worst case scenario. I'm not saying the all lenders are like that, right? Three weeks later, you know, the rate right now is 3.875. You're buying a $300,000 home. 
and they say, oh, you, your rate is 4.5. They 4.5%, they give you 5,000. My rate is 3.875, but actually I can do the same thing. If I go up to 4.5, I probably give you more than 5,000. I can give you six or $7,000. Yeah, okay, that's a real life example. So, so, so the builder uh, is not really contributing to the lender? It depends too. Oh, okay. So say say example Meritage. Yeah. Okay. Uh the the builder, they have MHI mortgage. Yeah. I think they own that company. Yeah. Okay. Lenar own part of the builder company. Own part of that lender company. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But not Western. Western they don't have a company that they own. Western builder. So so so, so for example like uh, Meritage they own the MH MTH yeah. I've seen that. I think they partner together. Oh, because I just had a Meritage loan and like Meritage kind of started together, but then Loan Depot. Depot, yeah. They did the whole thing, so yeah. Same with mine. Yeah, yeah. Did you have a choice? Was it was there more than one, or was just Loan Depot? Was that the only? No, no, I had a choice. Yeah. But, okay. Yeah, I, yeah, I did have a choice. So it was like no, it, was, it was like a preferred then, lender then. It was Meritage and it was like another loan that Clyde White worked with. Do you remember that, that, that loan company that you did your wife work with? Yeah, yeah, I forgot. But, but they always have they always, every time they open, they always have a big company. Yeah, yeah, but it was another big lender that they, they, they say, hey, choose, you know, use our lender or use the other lender. So um, when a customer say I'm going with a builder, I have a builder, you know, I always ask, my first question I always ask is who's a builder? Yeah. Because I know if I can get this loan or not. Oh, okay. Okay? Oh, okay. So not 100%, but 80%. Oh, okay. If you say you have Meritage, yeah. I was like, you know, stay with them. Because what happened is that I would beat them about $1,000, uh -huh. but they're gonna come back and try to match me and then they're gonna do I have one loan that they do everything until like a week before closing they're still trying to get my customer they have manager calling because with builder one thing I know from my LO friends they they of course they get paid on loan but they also get paid on retention rate if the builder give you 10 loans you need to be able to close certain amount of loans out of those 10 loans that they give you does it make sense so they have a lot of incentive to keep that loans in-house because they want to keep that relationship with that builder. That builder, like, you know, what the heck? I gave you ten, and you can't convert them. So, yeah. so, so many builders. But I think we kind of go off the topic topic that we trying to do today. So, um, I think I'm gonna. You guys have any other questions before I start? No. Okay. So today it kind of about come about three different sections. The first section is I'm gonna give you uh, one schedule E of real life example, but of course I cross out the name and the address. Um, you know the schedule E that an investor reported on his schedule E, right? Uh, but I'm gonna show you how an underwriter calculated it, because on the schedule E sometimes it shows as loss, but for me it's a gain. Sometimes it's huh? What is the schedule E for? You all have schedule E on the tax return. Oh, we can calculate underwriting. The debt to information. Oh, okay, okay, mm -hmm. So, tell um, me if you can just help me pass them out. That'd be great. This would be like a caveat, though, right? This, this yeah. Uh, it's, it's 
So I'm going to talk about the Schedule E, how underwriters calculate rental income, and then Victor is going to come on and talk about finance properties, what's the maximum finance property that you can get, and then I'm going to come talk about some non-QM programs. So we have three different sections. I know we have a lot to cover. So. Um, I'm ready. I'm, I'm counting on that. Do you guys have this yet over there? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. So uh, this, you all should have seen it already you know, Schedule E. I think you all here have properties, right? That you file on your Schedule E tax return. Okay, so the next one is the rental income worksheet. I think this is important that you all should understand how it's being calculated, how underwriter calculate your income. Okay, because on your Schedule E, you may report this as a loss. So look at number A. Uh, look at A, the property A on the Schedule E the loss is negative 531, right? But look at my rental income worksheet. It's actually a gain of 524. So you get a loss on your tax return, pay less tax, but then when you go to lending, you actually, that's your income. I like that. You like that? I love that. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I, I like think creative <laughs> Yeah, I, I know you guys are more sophisticated, so I want to go deep down, dig into this with you guys. Um, it's get boring, you know, just skip it, you know, we can skip it. But we, I can, can I talk about you as an example? Okay, we came to me last year, and he filed his Schedule E, right? I look at it and I was like, no. <laughs> He was um, doing commercial loans, you know, and he couldn't get conventional conforming. So I say, you know, we just go ahead and file 2018 like you're going to file it. Okay, just go ahead and file like you're going to file it. But this is how I calculate income. Give it to me before you submit your tax return. So we, do you compare, this year compared to last year, do you feel like you pay a lot more tax? Well, actually not. He's not paying more tax, but he'll be able to qualify this year. Um, should we talk about that one deal that he did? Yeah. Yeah, um, I forgot. Refinance, <laughs> 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 Yeah, we're doing refinance, cash out on his property about four. We're doing four right now, right? We're we close two, we then we're doing two, two more. more. Um, so one of the property he bought it for a hundred. The, the one that we just closed, we bought it for 80. So now the ARV is 135. So now we're just cashing out 75% of the ARV. So we cash out all of his investment. So let, let me just chip it a little bit, you know, like from the way I'm explaining it to me. You know, like last year, all I do is expand because I love, you know, expand. I buy, I buy an iPhone, I de
um, instead of doing that, we learn how to depreciate the iPhone over five years. You know, first year, you know, the special depreciation is still the same, but then because of this depreciation, she can add it back into my income. We know mm -hmm. depreciation is only a paper loss. It's not yeah. your expense. So, so we add that it. back. Not the same thing with number A. Look at A. Look at his depreciation line 18. Mm. 5,222. I add that. it back. Oh. Mm -hmm. How come your B and C don't have depreciation? Because this guy don't put depreciation on there. Oh. So your accountant is fine. No, no, this is not we. This is another person. This is not his. This is not his example. <laughs> 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 so we're all like, okay, we're gonna study these investments. <laughs> 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 okay, so um, I'm gonna go a little bit technical right now. Okay, look at the rental income worksheet, and you have both piece of paper, right? So uh, first, A1, we're going to take the total rent received of 17160 You see that on line 3 of the Schedule E. Mm -hmm. Subtract the total expenses, 17691 Okay, and now we're going to add back. We're going to add back the insurance expense, the tax expenses, and we're going to add the depreciation expenses. Why do we adding them back? because we add them back because um, so say you have this house right now that's your monthly payment that you have a more you have a mortgage on it mm -hmm. but now you cash out your monthly payment is going to be higher so we have to be able to look at the house to see just your income for that house itself so we have to add back your current interest taxes and insurance and now we're going to subtract the new one if you look at um i, I never liked that idea because i yeah. was like why do you you know you're, you're basically hitting them for the current expense for something that may have been taxes and insurance a couple of years ago where they probably probably made more money but that's just the way that the rules are so you have to you have to use the current pitia for you know that's why you, that's why you add those back in because you know then you end up subtracting it through the current uh, A10, right? The subtraction. So you see the adjusted monthly rental income of $1,053. Okay. And then we're going to subtract his current or his proposed PITIA. So this guy, this is actually his current PITIA of 529 per month. That's only the taxes and insurance. He does not have a mortgage on it. If you look at on top, it say investment property address A free and clear. So this guy, the 529, is his taxes and insurance. If you have a mortgage on it, we will have to add the mortgage on it. So if the monthly mortgage payment is $500, then this guy will make a rental income of only $24 instead of 524. Okay. So why do you add back insurance and tax? Because on we top because we subtract because it. we subtract subtract it later. Because the number can change. So, so the not always. You would go with the most current. It would be the current PITIA versus the historical. Ah, okay. No, but you're doing a month, right? Like, like eight ten is one month. Yes. Why is not the whole year? Because we divided. Look at A nine. It divided by eleven months. At that point, it's good. Eleven months. If you look at 
A on the schedule E, mm -hmm. it say the fair rental days is 330 days. Mm. Where? Schedule E, mm -hmm. A, mm -hmm. 330 days, the fair rental days. Oh, okay. So that's 11 months. Mm -hmm. So you have the total adjusted monthly rental income of 11, well, you have the adjusted rental income of 11,585. You divided by 11, 11 months. So this guy have the house rent out for 11 months. So divided by 11, you get 1,053 number. But this numbers does not include mortgage, taxes, insurance, and HOA, because you add them back yep. on top. So, so now we're gonna subtract the new. So say now his taxes increase, or now his mortgage increase because he's gonna do a cash out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So now you're gonna subtract the proposed or the current PITIA of 529. So he have a net oh. of 524. Okay, I so know. it's only work if it's 11 months. What if it's a month 12? It will be the same. 12 months? Yes. It's almost going to be the same, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Because you're actually adding back a whole year if you take out one 11 month. I add oh, back I what's on. One month. I add back what is recorded on here. Okay. Mm. I, when I, there's mortgage interest, it's more, it stands out more because the, you, you're, you're taking, you're, adding back in the interest, but you're deducting the principal and interest payment so, along with everything else. So literally this is a cash basis accounting, not a pool, because you're just doing it cash, cash basis. Mm -hmm. We use it, we offer what the customer reported. He can, you can report it wrong, you can, re like so say, if you want a lot of income, mm -hmm. right, to be able to buy your next house. Whatever you put on there, we don't check. Mm -hmm. Got it. Guidelines going off of tax return. I don't, I don't see your receipt, I don't care. Okay, so look at B. This is a, the point that I want to get across. Look at investment property B. You see that this guy have a 15-year fixed mortgage. Okay, so look at his adjusted monthly rental income of 951 on B, on the rental income worksheet, right? 951. But you see his PITIA of $1,339. So his loss is 388. He did a 15-year mortgage. Imagine if you did a 30-year mortgage. A 30-year mortgage would be about three or $400 less than a 15 years. So instead of hitting him with a loss of 388, if he had gone with a 30-year mortgage, he would have no loss. What is the gain in the tax return? On his tax return? Zero. Zero. On his tax return, he actually have a gain. Uh, he has actually have, yeah, zero. yeah, zero. But it's actually a loss of three eighty eight. So it seems like the number that you can play around with on here is the depreciation expense, and that's the big number that you can play with. But from looking at here, like, is there any way that you can shove some of the other? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to get there. How, no, yeah. how do you shut yeah. number down? Maybe one step back is this overall strategy to affect your debt to income ratio. Yes. Okay, let's let's look at the, let's we go into detail. Let's look at the overall pictures, uh, the bigger pictures. This is what I told me. I say, I only need your income, your self-employment income, whatever you report, I only need it enough to cover your primary home. If he says, I don't have a primary home, I'm living rent-free, beautiful, he can make zero income and he can still buy houses. So because, because yeah. you're... Because you don't you trust can, me? <laughs> no, I'm excited, so you, actually. <laughs> 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 That's your excitement reaction. <laughs> I, I know, this stuff is powerful because yeah. sometimes I tell my husband, I am so, like, I feel like, 
made. I I can buy so many things. I can do so many. I'm a, a question. So yeah. you don't need to check out YouTube or 1099 anymore. That's instant. If that's the case, you still need. W2 and I don't need W2 and 1099. So say, okay, so a, say a person fill this form out, right? You need pay stub? No, I don't even need pay stub. You can make no, let me explain why. Okay, so say you're living rent free, living with your parents, you make zero income, mm -hmm. but somehow you got cash to go buy your first investment home. That investment home, you play with the number and that investment home, say, give you 524 a month income, right? And so, uh, so 524 income, and so you have a credit card debt, of a, and then you have to pay a monthly payment of $100. So debt is 100 divided by income 524. Your debt to income ratio is only 20%. Mm -hmm. Debt to income ratio have to stay less than 50. Well, how okay. Do you get the 520 income if you live with a parent? 520. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's oh, the rent. Yes. Oh, I see. I okay. See. So look at the. So okay. So now. You're gonna, so you're good there. And now you're gonna say, I'm gonna go buy the next one, next house, right? Okay, next house, uh, say PITIA. When I say PITIA, it says total monthly payment for that house. So the total monthly payment for that house is 1000 But you can lease it out for 1500 When I say lease it out, we're gonna do rental income on it. I can use future rental income on that house. How future now? We actually do a comp on it. We, do, we call a form 1007. The appraisal that comes out in the appraiser house, they're gonna put it. They're gonna do a rental comp too, and they give us the number. Okay, so say the the rental income is fifteen hundred. We take seventy five percent of that, so that's about say twelve hundred. But your monthly payment is only a thousand. Now you're actually making two hundred dollar income on that house. Cool. Okay. And now you can go buy the next one. Okay. Question. That's your friend. That's a friend or back ratio. That's, uh, that's a friend ratio. That's a that's my back ratio. Okay. Mm -hmm. What happened? The, so the front ratio should be even less conservative? Uh, the, the front ratio should be less conservative? Well, yeah, because the front ratio on investment, on investment purchase is going to be your current housing. So your front ratio could be zero if you're living rent free. Exactly. And then your total. Oh, you have a twenty-five dollar uh, credit card, so your front end is going to be like five percent. So that's what you look at to pre-qualify people, or that's what you look at to approve to underwrite, to underwrite, right? Not to pre-qualify. Uh, both. Okay. Because so I, I the have last, the last step. That's because I have at. to pre when I pre-qualify you with the pre-approval. I give all the calculations, and I want my calculation to be the same as the underwriter calculations, right? Okay. So, um, so whatever your your debt to income ratio is fifty percent, meaning whatever all your debts that you add up in terms of monthly payments, you know, auto loans, credit cards, has to be half of your income. Mm -hmm. So, just trying to think a little bit creatively on the rent income side. Um, you mentioned about like the 1007 or what, what, what form is that? The rent, that's the rental schedule that the appraisal is going to do right. on that house that you buy. Yeah. Yeah. And that's future income. How about if you give yes. something better than future income? How about I give you a lease, a signed lease that I have? The, no, they, the if, it's, if it's currently occupied, if, if, it's, yeah. if it's currently as a tenant and that's the lease number, yeah, you then we would give you 75% no. of that. Uh, okay. I, I would I would say that the underwriter they want to use a conservative approach 
if you say you're leasing your house for 2000 but exactly. the rental come is only 1500 they're going to use a 1500 Oh, so they don't go by actual, so they go no. by... Okay. So they, don't do, they don't do the rental schedule if your income is so high that you enough to cover the debt for the house and you right. don't need the rental income, then they're not going to order the rent schedule because the rent schedule costs you about $150. So say you make ten thousand dollars a month, right? Mm -hmm. And you buy an you have a primary home. Your monthly payment is two thousand. So if you make ten thousand, you have five thousand in debt capability a month, right? Mm -hmm. So your house monthly payment is two thousand. Now you still have three thousand left. You buy an investment home. The total monthly payment on that house is only fifteen hundred. Mm -hmm. And I can still hit you with all of that, and you still qualify. Then I don't need to use the rental income. Oh, okay. I, I see what you're question. saying. Okay. It's a chicken or egg question. So I don't have money, but I want to buy my first rental income. I don't have income, so you're looking at I cannot use rent. That's good question. When you don't own a home mm -hmm. and you buy an investment home, I cannot use rental income. Yeah, that's nice. So, if you make no money, mm -hmm. zero money, what you really want is get cash from somebody that help you buy your first investment home. Because once you have a once you have a portfolio of one investment home, now you buy the second one. I can use the rental income for that nice. house. Yes. yes. Okay. So you have or, the first one. That's a good question. For a second one. Or if you have cash of one hundred and fifty thousand, you buy a house for one hundred and fifty thousand. You file that house on the tax return, or you have rental income for that. Oh, you have the lease agreement on that, right? You come to me and you say, "Hun, I want to cash out this house. Yeah. Can I? Yes, I can, because that rental income enough to cover all of the, cover the new loan that you're going to cash out. So I'm going to cash out 75% of 150. So you say you're going to cash out 100,000, right? 100,000 out of that 100,000, you, you you use 50,000 as a down payment for a new house. Yes. I can buy you the second house and use future rental income on that house. So using your same strategy, right? How many houses can I buy? Max, he's going to touch that topic, uh, maximum 10 finance properties. Per person. Mm -hmm. For a couple, for this one. Yeah. So but you have to put your own stuff in Primary home plus 19 more. Yeah, I think with the primary, isn't that you can get more? I, I don't primary think the primary unlimited. doesn't count, right? Is it primary count? is unlimited. Yeah. They don't count Bobby, that primary. If you have 10 finance properties, you can have 11 or, you know, you can have more. Uh, you can always add a primary. So first and second home. Plus second home. Mm -hmm. Second home counts. Is right. The second home counts, yeah. Primary counts. The second home counts. So what is the goal here? The goal is to hit step 2A with zero or, or one or two, something like that? It depends. So say... Um, so say, give us a, who is an example, right? So say he have his primary, his primary home, uh, he pay about a thousand for everything, monthly. Think, help me to think in terms of per month, right? A thousand taxes, insurance, and mortgage, whatever. And I say, okay, a thousand. We all you have to do. You have, he has no other debt other than mortgage debt for his houses. I say, we all. Your job for me this year is that all I care is that your monthly income is two thousand, doable, twenty four thousand a year, right? So my goals on here is that, so his goal, the result, everything to be zero. Okay, that's doable. That's very doable. Wait, so we, he has a primary home, yeah. monthly payment of a thousand per month. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That house, of course, doesn't have an income, right? Yeah. So his income as a realtor has to cover that, meaning that he has to make double that. Mm -hmm. So he make 2,000, okay? 
and he has say three properties right here what his goal he does not he can put net gain on here but this is mean that you have to pay taxes on them right mm -hmm. so but he can put net loss if he put net loss on here so if he put loss so say the B he lost three hundred eighty eight dollars so four hundred dollars okay his house is a thousand losses say five hundred dollars that fifteen hundred now his income has to be three thousand to cover that does it make sense? So it's, you're really playing with the multiplier here. Yeah, yeah. You're playing with the multiplier. Yeah. yeah. What if your properties are in LLCs? Do they, do they uh, impact your debt income ratio? If your properties in LLCs and... Um, it depends how you file that property. Some people file on Schedule C, even if it's on the LLC. Yeah. Schedule E, some people file on the S Corp, some people file on the partnership. Yeah. It depends on how you file what it too. On partnership, um, I will look at on part on partnership. It will, huh? In the eighty-eight twenty-five form. Mm-hmm. Eighty-eight twenty-five. Yes. On your form eighty-eight twenty-five. On that, I actually have two options to calculate your income. Yeah. Okay. So on your K one, on huh? On your um, so on your K one, the the partnership gonna give you a K one, and on your K one, say you have five thousand. Okay, I don't even need to look at all your houses. I'm just count five thousand as your income. Or or but if your K one give you a loss, then now I would say you know what? Let's go to eight house eight house on here and then calculate this way to see if I can get you more income. But S Corp is different because S Corp, they don't break down how many houses you have in the portfolio. Mm -hmm. Only Schedule E and partnership, I can see each houses and each monthly payment and rental income for each. Mm -hmm. So if you put that in an S Corp, I have a customer that did that. If it's a loss, I'm gonna have to hit you with a loss. I have no choice. I can't tell which you know which one is which house, which the monthly payment, what's the depreciation on H. Does yeah. it answer your questions? Yeah, it helps. Okay. Um, so my my CPA tells me that uh, don't capitalize anything under thirty five hundred. Like if you have expense, if you have so like a plumbing fix a thousand dollars, it's expensive, right? He doesn't want to capitalize everything. Is that just because he is more confident to capitalize it, or Threshold. I think that's on the tax part. I think if if it's I think don't quote me on this. I think if it's under thirty five hundred, you can expense it. More than thirty five hundred, you have to capital capitalize it, yeah. add it, and depreciate it over. You know, add right. it on top of the value. But it's not like I should cap. I should depreciate. Yeah, mm -hmm. you should. Or mm -hmm. like if it's thousand dollars, I should depreciate that. Yeah, capitalize don't expense it, it, depreciate it. Put it depending on the purpose, right? Yeah. yeah. Right. From right. sure. sure. this standpoint, sure. it won't remain your tax. But like a problem yeah. repair. I mean, you can say that uh, you're improving the property. But you have good W2 income. So like yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but depreciation, yeah. It, it looks nice now, but when you sell the house, you have to recapture it. Yeah, so recapture it too. So let's look at C. What was I going to talk about C? Oh, yeah, C. Help me to look at on C. Mm -hmm. Where's my repairs? A8. 
Let's look at A8. Um, if you look at the, the rental income worksheet, uh, read A8 for me, please. It's short and very expensive. Mm-hmm. Okay. So now look at the schedule E. Line 14, repairs. You see uh, house A, he repairs is 4620 B is 3250 but C is a lot, 6345 when he have it under service for only 120 days, four months. So what, is, what does it tell us, me as a person look at his stuff? So it's like, oh, this sounds like this guy just bought the house, you know, at the end of the year and he was fixing it up and he leased it out for only four months out of the year. So he probably bought it like, so he leased it probably in August, so he bought it probably like in May, he fixed it up for three months, and then he leased it in August. So he has only four months of rental. Mm -hmm. This is very powerful, that's why I want you to read A8. What does it say? Enter any one-time extraordinary expenses. There must be evidence of the nature of the one-time extraordinary expenses. You can add this back. But he did it um, under this awesome. But he did it. On this guy, we didn't do it, but we can. Let me explain why on this guy we didn't add it here, okay? So look at the look at the um the repairs, it says 6374 So if you can see, most of his house, the repair is about 3000 This house is about 3000 more, right? I could have added on here 3000 and then give him less loss, right? Mm -hmm. So it is very, but this guy, why I can't use it? Because I know the underwriter is going to come and ask me and say, you say this is a one-time repairs, show me your receipt. Oh. One-time repair is like painting the house. You know, remodeling, taking out the, ripping out the carpet. Like I'm remodeling the house and getting getting it ready for lease. Mm -hmm. So what's what's the problem here? Most investors they pay cash. Mm -hmm. They pay cash, and they say, no joke. It's not a joke. I have a investor that took a picture of a lot of cash, like making like a fan, and he took picture of it. He sent it to me, and he said, that's all I paid my vendor. And I said, are you kidding me? I can't use this, okay? So if you bought the house or like the tenant trashed your house one year, it's just a one-time event, save the receipt for me. So just a receipt or just a rece proof of expense? Because uh, I can make receipts like this. You see, it's not hard to get, right? Proof of fun going out as well. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but I have my underwriter has never asked for proof of money going out of your oh, account. Okay. So they have oh, never asked. No <laughs> <laughs> they just say, show me the receipt that you pay for carpets or whatever, whatever. Oh. Okay. Now, now, what's the difference between A5 and A8? Is there any A5 is a tax expense. The tax is a property tax. But because the same amount was added in A5, right? 6374 I know you just pointed out that A8 is very powerful. You can add that. Yeah, one you know what? He, you he, he did it, so I think he probably messed up the number a little bit. <laughs> um, 
He was helping me. Yeah, the sixty-three seventy-four. It should be under. No, it's taxes. It's taxes. It's correct. It's correct. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's both six thousand. Yeah, this is very close. Yeah. So that's how you get unlimited financing. So do you, when, whenever, if your income only doesn't qualify for your loan, so you have to report and look at the rental income, right? Mm. But do you have to report all of the rental families under your name, or you can just like select and report some? Are you going to check? So, okay, so say you have a house that you bought it two years ago, you let your mom and dad live there, okay? Or say you let your relatives live there, and yeah. this happened a lot. Oh, I let my sister live there, you know, do you, um, and she pays me every month. You know, I'm not reliable for the mortgage for this house. She's paying me. She's, oh, she's paying the mortgage for me. Okay, sounds great. Do you file your tax schedule E? You file this? No? Okay, um, then you say, oh, you know what? I can do a lease agreement now that for her to lease my house. Mm -hmm. No, it's not going to work. No. You can do it for next year. It's still not going to work. Because the underwriters say, you bought this house two years ago, and now you need financing, now you give me a lease agreement, it's too convenient. But if this year you file a tax return for it, then we'll be fine. Because I only need one year of tax return. I don't need to look back at the history of the house. Does it make sense? So, answering your questions. If you, so you say you don't report all on here, say you have five houses. You lease out only three, you keep two for your family to live, right? But when I do the search, five houses are going to come up under your name. <coughs> so whatever three on here, I can use the income for it. The other two, I have to hit you with all the debt. Does that make sense? So, yeah. Your credit report will show everything. Oh, yeah. You can't, you know. Oh, I have, I have customer. Oh, ha oh, no other houses. That's it. You know, that's all I have. Then I can't check, but the underwriter can. They do have a system. They check and they say, we found this house in California. We have this house find it here. Is it yours? Prove it. Oh yeah, they know. Yeah. Okay. Even things under LLC, they it will be pulled up too. Depends. Most of your name. Unless it's a commercial loan, they call it LLC. So what happens after you hit your ten houses? Can you still get more loans? You can, but you have to go non-QM, not conventional anymore. So you do portfolio? Yeah. So we'll, now we're going to go to other investors. But I have investors like that, and you know what I tell them? I say, cash out one house and pay off two houses. True. Cash out one house. Yeah, pay off two, and now you have one more. You have uh, two more available. So you have 10 finance houses, right? But one house, you have all the equity in there. Mm -hmm. You cash out, so you can pay off. So what you're trying to do is you're trying to pay off. Oh, you know, cash out equity, most equity and pay off some. Now we don't count it against you anymore. So reset, reset a few. Yeah, exactly. But what if I don't want to do that? Like, it's all cash flow and excellent. Like, I don't want to sell it, you know. At that point, I wouldn't want to sell it. That's what she said. Right. Well, you don't have to sell it, you cash out. Yeah, you refinance, cash out. Yeah, oh no, you don't have to sell it. You cash out. That's um, so a lot. Like a modification, like. Re refinance cash out. So yeah. like let's say when, when you get your first loan was hundred K, right? And then now you have probably well like two hundred K refinance and now you can loan. You can take out seventy five percent of two hundred. Yeah. So you can take hundred and fifty. Mm -hmm. We take hundred and fifty pay off your current loan, so say hundred thousand, you still have fifty thousand equity in the house. Uh, so. that we can take out.
What do you think of uh, line of credit? Oh, your primary right. payout. Home equity line of credit. Does that count as a, a loan? No, your primary doesn't count. It loan even on your. Even the line of credit doesn't count. Mm -hmm. So you can't use the line of credit. To you can out. home equity line of credit. So Maybe. cash out is at seventy five percent. Uh, cash out is seventy five percent. Primary is eighty percent. Investment, investment is 75. And then refinance for investment yeah. is 80%? Refinance is 75. Cover that yeah. right now. We got some oh, materials. He's going to cover that. Oh, okay. So the cash out, you can do it only six months later, right? After you own the home. Yeah, you have to own cash out. You have to be on title for six months. What about refinance? Cash out on primary or investment, you have to be on title for six months. So if you ask me, what if the LLC is on title, can I cash out? Yeah. Yes, you can. All I have to do is trace back to make sure that the LLC belongs to you. Oh, why, 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 why would that be the case? Why would the LLC and the individual make a difference when you cash out? So, so say we have a property under LLC, right, and under commercial loans, and he has a balloon payment, just for example. Now he want to cash out under his personal names. But you know, the, the rules is that you have to be on title for six months to be able to cash out. <coughs> well, he has not been on title for six months. If I add him on title now, he has to wait six months to do it, be able to do the cash out, right? Mm -hmm. but, he, but the property has a title as an LLC, and I can trace the LLC to we. You know, he can give me the LLC paperwork and showing that he is the owner of the LLC. Yeah. Then yeah, I can do the cash out. Okay. So this, well, we talk about overlays, right? Say at the bank you would have to ask for exception to be able to do it. So if you come to the bank and say, you know, I have an LLC, I want to do a cash out under my personal name, they're probably going to say no, or if the person is good, they're going to go up to the next level and ask for an exception. The exception is going to say, well, we don't know, let's send it in and see if we can accept it. That's the overlays of the bank, because guidelines say as long as you can trace back to that person, you can do the cash out. But there's also delay refinance cash out. You can do there's delay financing, or delay financing is yeah. A huge, another topic. It's yeah. it, it's great. Yeah. yeah. What is it? Delay financing. So say you bought the house with cash, right? And now you want to cash out. Yeah. But remember, you have to wait six months. Mm -hmm. But delay financing meaning that you don't have to wait six months because you bought the house with cash. Mm -hmm. Now you can do the cash out right away. Yeah. So what would be the difference between the two programs? And the refinance cash out and the delay financing. Mm -hmm. The delay financing, the, the advantage that it's giving you is that you don't have to wait six months. Right, so, but what? what, what is the drawback? Yeah, I is guess, it high, high why rate? would they make a distinction between the two? Like, what are the advantages and disadvantages for both programs, I guess? I know the difference, I can tell you. Yeah, so <laughs> the delay one is there's a cap. The cap is your purchase price. Um, oh, so you can't with the LV. Oh, okay. No, um, your purchase price and plus your plus closing. plus closing plus the repairs. I think no, you can't do the repairs on top of that. Repair. I thought you can work. It's just uh, whatever your hut was when you bought it. That's your purchase price. Oftentimes, or the, the current appraised value, if it's less, then that's what you. Oh yeah, the the less of that, yeah. yeah. But usually your purchase part would be less. And they need to source. <laughs> <laughs> and they need to source how you came up with the cash to pay for it too. Yeah. So if you if you bought that house, uh, 150, a hundred coming from you, fifty thousand coming from gift or whatever, mm -hmm. we can only do the max a hundred. Mm -hmm. That money has to come from you. Yeah, it has to trace to where where when you pay pay for it. 
But then the sixth month, you can up to the 75% of the market value. Yeah, the appraised so value. So it will cover yeah, your exactly. fixing costs too mm -hmm. if you happen to put mm -hmm. So in that case, if you did a delayed financing, does the bank still do appraisal on you? Or they can just pretty much look at your HUD and be good Well, because the lesser of appraisal or purchase oh, price is the still need to do appraisal yeah. then. Okay. Yeah, I know that you mentioned about like there's a program that loan uh, factory has going on right now where like you can just uh, lend on the property itself. Right? Yeah, you don't mm -hmm. look at, I can you talk a little bit more about that. Do you want to talk about that's all like non-QM topics? So I kind of want to say because that's going to like foreign national programs, studied income, and that the SDR program. So, do you mind if I touch about yeah, it? Yeah. Oh, like, like, yeah. <laughs> So, do you mind if I talk about that later when, when we get there? Sure. Okay, so another thing is important that you all as an investor, and I want you to keep in mind, is reserves. Victor's gonna touch on it, but reserves, like, you know, the reserve is like after you close on your house, we still wanna make sure that you still have money left, right? Uh, so, what's um, reserves? Okay, another thing is, so say, you're buying an investment home, and you have 50,000 from your parents. The, the money is not coming from you, and that's all you have. And you have 100,000 in your 401k, or your IRA that you don't want to take out, okay? So if you're gonna use the 50,000 from your parents, we have to wait two months, because I cannot see the 50,000 coming from your parents. We have to wait two months and then now you yeah. give me a two month of bank statement, I don't see the 50,000, I count as your money, yeah. okay? Yeah. But if you wanna go ahead and, if you wanna go ahead and buy it now, it actually can happen because you have 100,000 in your 401k. This is on guidelines, not many people know about it. But, so say, I will say, you know what? I'm gonna send my underwriter 100,000 on your 401k. You don't have to liquidate it, I just have to show it. As long as above 25% of what you need, say you need 50,000, 25% is 75, right? And you have 100. So it's above 25 25% of what you need. I'm gonna send only 100, I'm not showing your bank statement of 50,000 because I know from your parents, they're not gonna take it. I'm gonna show 100,000. They're gonna take it and you don't have to liquidate if it's more than 25. You don't have to liquidate it and at closing, you just take the 50,000 and pay for the house. 25% of what? 25% of what you need to close. So yeah. say you need 50,000 to close. Oh, like say 25% down, you need 50,000 yeah. to close, right? So 25% 25, 25 more, so yeah. that'd be 75,000. Right. But you have 100,000. Mm -hmm. So the nice thing about this is that you don't have to cash out, you don't have to liquidate your IRA and get a penalty for it. Mm -hmm. I just show that to show, and then you can take whatever money you want to go to closing and so what is that, that called or if I wanted to do that with you like, is there a certain word for that or so uh, a word for that or no. is it a certain term for that or no. process or anything okay. no okay. I I know okay. I, hey, I don't I know RA, creative uh, yeah special. the Han special <laughs> 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 how new is this on the right huh how new is this new platform I don't know I, it's been a lot of time, it's just that when I read guidelines, and I said, oh, you know, we can do this. Because, okay, so say you have a primary home. This is something different. If you have a primary home, you want to turn that into an investment and you move to a bigger home, right? Mm -hmm. You know yourself that you're gonna sell this house later. 
Okay, but you want to move to your new house first, get settled in, and then you're going to sell this house, right? But you, this house, you have a big mortgage on it. You need a rental income on it mm -hmm. to be able to buy the new house, mm -hmm. right? So a lot of lender or people, they will put a lease agreement on it, you know, but for the lease agreement, they'll put 12 months or 24 months lease agreements. This is important for realtors to know because I would just come back to the realtor and I say, Nancy, you know, um, I need to turn this house into investment, the current home, and I need a lease agreement on it. Mm -hmm. You give me a lease agreement, I don't care who the tenant is, I don't need to know. You give me the lease agreement for 12 months. Okay, okay, I accept it. I turn it to my underwriter, we use the rental income. Your clients close on their new house, now they put their house up for sales. Mm -hmm. That's a little issue, isn't it? You give me a lease agreement yeah. for 12 months and now you're putting your house up for sales. Mm -hmm. So I was like, oh, this is not good. You know, like if we get, you know, people get audit and it's just a mess. So I, I read up guidelines. Guidelines actually actually say we can use a month to month lease. It doesn't have to be 12 months. Mm. Okay. okay. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so my situation real, change. So yeah, exactly. Situation change. We we get yeah yeah. I do. I, I think quite a bit on this. I think quite a bit on this. So my under my underwriter and my processor came back to me and say, no, you need twelve months of lease agreement. The the conditions say twelve months of lease agreement. I say, tell the underwriter to go read guidelines or talk to their manager to, to talk to the lending manager. And they came back and they accept the month to month lease. Situation changed. Right? Situation. I, I lease it one month to my sister. She only went there for one month and now I moved to my new house. Now she want to move out. Now I sell my house. So what? So this will apply to a lot of subject to appeals. Like basically, oh, yeah. so, so many, Nancy. Years. Like it, a lot of people to be able to buy the next house, they have to turn this house into an investment. Yeah. Otherwise, they're going to have a big debt here that they cannot cover both houses yeah, at the same time. They have time. to close it like that house, the, the, their primary first before they can buy the, the other one. So mm -hmm. along the right. point, they just like close it on the same day. So, so yeah, but it creates a lot of stress too. Yeah. So if you can just move into the new house, get settled in, and then get this house ready for sale. So then, um, as, as long as that your your own house, the first house, the lease, month-to-month lease, cover Enough to cover, your, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I can yeah. actually use the rental income for that too. So say some people have that house paid off uh, and after we have the lease on it and the rental come on the lease on it, I can actually get income and help them to buy more expensive home. Okay. So how much do you need in reserves? Um, I would not need nothing in reserves because, uh, well, turn into investment, do we need, I don't think There's we need reserves. In general? In general, six months. Six months. Okay. Yeah, but when you have two months. Uh -huh. But when you have too many houses, they're going to count 2% of the unpaid balance. Mm -hmm. Total mortgage together, 2%. Uh -huh. So he's going to touch that topic. What about the rules for a, for a jumbo one? Oh, it's totally different. Mm -hmm. it's, uh, for, and my last jumbo deal was just like a year ago when I was Investor in Wells. jumbo? Jumbo oh. loan. No, it's not for investors. Just the primary home, I guess. It's like, Jumbo. The most special about the reserve for reserve for jumbo loans. I guess that's his question. What is the exact thing? Is it also like fifty percent? No. Is the jump? He's asking guidelines for jumbo. Is it different? It is, right? Yeah. Yeah. Their their ratios are lower. I mean, they forty three. Yeah, it's like it's pretty pretty hard number, but 
you know, they, they, they also, at the same time, you know, they, they, they'll look at assets and they'll look at the total picture because it's more of a, you know, because it's not like a pushing a button and there's a green light or a red light, you know, it's, there's a, you know, a human being there and they're looking it over, but, I mean, they are pretty tight on ratios, they're like 40, 43, I mean, especially on cash outs, you know, that's really... And your totally FICO fun. has to be around 680, 722, the guidelines are different at every bank, because Jumbo, they actually keep it in-house, so, like, for example, Wells Fargo, when they underwrite on that Jumbo loan, they, it's, it's, it's not, uh, they keep it. So they have their own. When I was at, um, over there, they discussed, so I was talking about turning an investment into a primary and use that rental income. You cannot do it on Jumbo if you don't have experience as an investor. So if you have an experience as an investor on the tax return, you know, buying and leasing houses, then you can turn your current home into an investment and use rental income on that and buy a new house. But if you have never had any experience, they will not accept it. So it's, it's different. It's, yeah, I, I don't do it a lot here at Loan Factory because our pricing is not good on Jumbo. Uh, I just tell the customers to go straight to the bank. So is Jumbo Loan not subject to Fannie Mae and Fannie Mae rules? I think that they, they try to make them similar so they could, like, because they're investors in the secondary market that, that buy Jumbos according to those standards, but uh, they, they don't they, they don't stick by it. And a lot of times, you know, the banks will like, use it as a way to leverage, say, hey, okay, I noticed you got like a couple million dollars over there at Bank America, you can bring it over to us and we'll, we'll do this loan, even though you got a 60% ratio, you know, something like mm -hmm. that. So how much is this considered jumbo? Over 484, 480. Like, yeah, they can change it. The loan amount, right? The loan amount, exactly. Yeah. Yep, exactly. Yeah, it's getting something. So I'm going to touch real quick on this topic. It may not apply to any of you at all, but so you know for other people. Um, have you heard of the word house hacking? Yep. Okay. I have a uh, person, he did exactly that. Uh, bought a duplex, live in one, and then lease out the other one. Going FHA, 3.5% down. You know, as an investor, when you buy a home, you have to put minimum of 15% down. He doesn't have that much. He only have the 3.5, so he house hacking. He live on one and lease out the other one. Okay, so um, doable. You can be an investor. So yeah, I'm gonna pass it back to Richard. So he gonna you will pass those some to you. of these some of these um, things here. This is this is pretty much going to be a, a reference guide for you know conventional mortgages on, on uh, investment property purchases, and you know even though um, and and, and let, let me just first of all say that you know where it talks about the ratios, the max DTI, and all that. That's pretty much it's not necessarily the case because this is like for a manual underwrite, and I should have pointed that out in here, but uh, sometimes you could get an approval without, you know, if you've got a ratio close to, you know, 45, 
and you have a 680, you know, and, and it's, there, there, are, there are, you could get approvals, but uh, that's kind of like a general reference guide just to go by. But uh, the, the one unit, 85%, if you, if you, could, if you could get another 10% down, the pricing's a, a lot, lot better. But yeah, you can go 15% down. And uh, on the on the credit score, yeah, they'll cut back the loan to value. They'll cut back the um, the max loan to value if you know if you have a lower credit score. So on a, a six eighty, it's uh, going to be seventy five and uh, above six six eighty. Yeah, and then on on the uh, on the other ratio, it's going to be a, a seven hundred to go above uh, seventy five. And when you get into the multi-unit properties, really it's the same pretty much whether it's a two-unit or four-unit um, on the on the uh, max loan to value and minimum credit score reserve. It's a little bit different in the pricing. Like the, uh, a three and four-unit would be not quite as good as a two-unit for, for pricing, but um, man, that extra income <laughs> makes, a, makes a big difference too. Um, why, so, why but is and, it, why is it probably not same for two to two to four to three to four units? Is it because underwriters don't like? It's it's really a function of what the secondary market uh, pays for a multi. You know, they figure if it's a three or four unit property, I don't know, it's just more risk. Um, but in hundreds of units, you know, people still get a little low yield on big big. Well, we don't. Yeah, but we we only go one to four. Yeah, so anything that's over that's commercial. Yeah. And, yeah. And I'm surprised that you know investors don't like. Uh, when they when they require something more down, meaning they interpret it as having more risk. So they think two to four units is having more risk in terms of investment for them. Maybe it's like harder to manage, more liabilities. I mean, the pricing difference may be subtle. It might be, you know, instead of, you know, yeah, four the seven eights, it's going to be five percent or something like that for a four unit versus a two unit. You know, it's it's not you know, a big big difference in that. And I, and I knew I was coming you know, into a group of people that own rental rental properties already, so I thought it'd be a good idea to also put the rate and term and the cash out uh, piece in there too, because you know this is where. When we get to talk about the maximum number of properties financed, you know, you can look at the something where you've got just a ton of equity and maybe a thirty thousand dollar balance or something like that on your mortgage, and you're thinking, hmm, I'm 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 getting close to that limit, but I could combine a couple of these houses and and uh, and still, you know, be under the cap. I could still buy more. Um, so on the rate and term, you'll see it's you know seventy five percent across the board. So the credit score, I ran into the situation last time, I checked my own score, it was really high, uh, more than 700, but then the bank ran a score, they told me that it's much Not lower, as, why yeah, is that? It's so common, it's like... Because the mortgage score, you're, the, the credit score you're getting from your credit card company, it, wherever, it's not the same version that... The, the banks pull. We, we pull a FICO 5.0 or experience, you know, there's just a yeah. certain version of the credit score that, that the consumer does. I mean, it'd be nice to be able to 
say, here, I have the same thing here. You pay $100 for it. People probably would. Because that's interesting because if you pull from the three biggest uh, credit barrel, right? Mm -hmm. It's consistently the same, but then with a the bank board. But see, there's probably 20 different versions of each one. Like TransUnion probably has 20 different versions of credit reports depending on what the, the, the lending niche is in mortgage. Um, so you just assume that it's going to be lower. Like, oh, yeah, it's always. not always, but most of the well, time it is lower. Yeah, I just always, when customers will tell me, oh, my credit score is low. And then they'll, okay. like, they'll be like, wait a minute, it says right here. I just I just push the button. It says I got a 760. And it's, yeah, no, they always say, oh, because you pull my credit, just drop 50 points. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, so before I pull credit, I always say, you know what? Your credit that you see on Wasfago or Chase, that's your credit card FICO score. Yeah. It's for credit card FICO score. It's not for mortgage. Mortgage is going to be lower. Okay, so when I pull, it's going to be less. So don't think because I pull, you lost 50 points. <laughs> it's not like in the car business when, you know, you're going to buy a car and they shotgun you to like, you know, 10 different lenders and you'll see 10 inquiries on there. I mean, that'll drop your score 50 points. But, you know, four, three different, three or four different lenders looking at you is not going to do that on a, on a mortgage a mortgage pull is a lot different it's uh you know it's going to be like one 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 hit for the 30 days so much. i want to touch on that it's very important so if you go through me um loan factory um i pull your credit only once but i can send it to 20 different lenders mm -hmm. same credit report pool if you go to different banks or different lenders everybody's going to pull your credits but now you blame them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, now you can blame them. Uh, so um, I do have a customer that he um, he was going with us, and then for some reason he went with somebody else. But then when they pull, I pulled his credit to 740, and then all of a sudden he had, a heck, he, he had one mortgage late payment, so his score dropped to like 620. So he had to came back to me, and then my credit, you know, my pool is good. You know, the pool is good for four months. So we have like about like 15 days to close before his credit expires. So we have to close in that 15 days. Otherwise, we have to use a new credit score. So but isn't that true whenever you pull the credit for the same category, which is home purchasing, within like a certain period of time, it's not going to impact your credit score at all? Um, um, pulled by a lot of different lenders. Yeah, theoretically, like in theory, it can lower your credit score, but I have never seen it. Like if you go to another lender, pull it a week ago, and you give me like, oh, they pull it, they say 720 when I pull it. Most of the time it's 7.22. So a lot of people say, I don't want you to pull your credit, my credit because it'll affect me. But from my experience, I have never seen it drop your score. So you're correct, mm -hmm. but I can't say that. You know, like when I t tell Bottle, I cannot say that. Like, oh, it, you yeah. know, like, it, it, yeah. It, it could be that, or it could be the fact that, you know, you're buying a house, so you're loading up your credit card with, you know, furniture and stuff, and, and that drops the score out. There's a lot of things happening there. The um, well, I pay with credit score quite a bit too. I have credit karma on my on my uh, phone, and I play with it on a weekly basis. I try different formulas and all that. So I learned that like if you have zero debt at all. So at one point I was paying my credit card on a daily basis. Before a number hits, I even pay it off. Yeah. So I have negative balance. <laughs> so I, I run different formulas and stuff like that on it. So I, what I learned is that like when you have zero balance on your credit card. Is actually not as good as you have one percent or two percent. Mm -hmm. So I yeah, always keep right. like a hundred or two hundred balance that I purposely don't pay off because it, it it give you an artificial boost of 
this person is utilizing credit. Yeah, that's true. So, that's a really good. That's a really good. Yeah, your score. You start hitting a little Yeah. So I had a customer with a six forty credit score. He. And he has no late payments, no derogatory, there's nothing bad on his credit. The only thing is that he has the credit card with the limits of, say, a thousand, and he spent like 950 on it. You know, a credit card of $500, and he spent like $500 on it. So what we did is very, very simple. We had him to, so today I had him to pay off those credit cards, give me the proof that he paid off his three card. I give it to my credit company, do a rapid rescore, costing about fifty bucks. I'm not kidding, six from six fifty it go up to like seven fifty. And from a very very high rate I'm being able to get him a very low rate. And it's a matter of one week. So because when you paid off your cards, it would take about, you know, a month or two to get it updated. Yeah. But we can do a rapid rescore. So we give to the credit company and we say, This this guy has done that already, he's the proof. And so they they rapid rescore his score and give me the new score and we're able to close the loan on him. Do so pay, um do you huh? pay for that rapid Yeah, it's not it's not much. Um what well, there's one customer we did um so one thing in mortgage is that I don't like to see dispute. So if you have anything you dispute on it, I don't know if you're right or you're wrong or whatever. When the system read a lot of dispute, there's a lot of risk on it, like something wrong on here. So I have a customer that we have to remove the dispute from that guy. Is it like five of them, right? Five disputes, five, six. It costs $700 for all six of them. It's not cheap. But the rapid rescore for the other guy is a lot cheaper. The dispute removal is quick too. I have to give them a letter saying that the guy say, oh, I'm removing this dispute. I'm not disputing it anymore. But that can actually lower his credit score. So when you dispute, yeah, yeah. So when you dispute, actually, what like? When you remove those disputes, it can lower your credit score. Really? Yeah, because because you disputed. Okay, so say you have a collection. Anything you do is going to pretty much, unless it's like changing the balance from maxed out to zero, creates risk. So you know, if you take the dispute back, you're creating risk. So the dispute is like this. So you have a collection, right? So you have, say, I have. So you're a not talking about the dispute on a credit card. You're talking about a dispute on the credit report, right? On the credit report, but okay. it's called it's your credit card. Because yeah. 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 I think they were confused with. Oh no 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 no! No, it's not dispute on credit card. No, it can 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 it be like so? Say show up as if it shows up as if it show up customer disputes. It's usually it's something that they probably owed money on, but they're just thinking, okay, if I put dispute on here, you know, it, it'll, it'll, you know, just maybe, maybe they, it'll just go away because they won't respond to it within, you know, a couple months or something, and, you know, because they read that somewhere online or something. So I think, like, if you guys, like, you bought something and you didn't receive it, you dispute it, right? Yeah. Your credit card company will take care of you, so they're not going to report that. Oh, okay. But so say if you own them collections, you're not paying them. Oh, okay. And they put on your credit report. So charged off a credit card. And, right, or charge off credit card. It becomes a collection account, and they're saying, mm -hmm. oh, I dispute that. So you dispute, and you say, oh, this is not mine, or I pay them off, you didn't send me the bills, or whatever, right? When you put a dispute on it, it's actually helping your credit score. Because you say that's, that, those, that derogatory item is not yours. But mm -hmm. when I come in and remove it, it can lower your score. Yep, that makes sense. Okay. So why do you need to remove it? I just have to, uh, when too many disputes, the, the system desktop underwriting will not take it. Do you still have?
Hmm? Well, yeah, I was just going to talk about the, the multiple finance property part because when you get to, uh, obviously there's more risk. It's like the whole concept of layered risk when you have you know, more and more finance properties. So when you get above six finance properties, then um, they require a minimum 720 credit score. And there's also the, the part that you were talking about, uh, but before I get to that, let's look at what doesn't count as a financed property, commercial real estate. You know, even, even if you have as commercial real estate on your Schedule E, it's not, uh, it's not considered as a financed property. We're looking for mortgages, things that are on one to four property that's a mortgage. And they don't, um, you know, a timeshare, a vacant lot uh, is not, even if it's financed. That's not going to count towards it, the balance, and a mobile home, unless it's like tied to the real estate. But uh, there is a, an increase in the reserve requirement when you go above. Um, that's when it gets in this complicated formula that maybe you don't need to get into right now. But basically, it's they'll look at the number at the what's called the uh, it's, it's basically the the outstanding balances on all your mortgages other than your home and uh, they'll take a look at that number and it's going to be uh, they want to see like a two percent of the I'll say you got 500 or a million dollars and you know two percent of that's going to be like uh, two thousand or something like that you know or two so you want to put yeah. a lot on your retirement? No, there'll be like twenty thousand dollars. You'll have to see yeah. in reserves, and the reserves can be like you said, a retirement account. That's very powerful IRA for one k. Put a bunch in there. We could use that as reserves. Just the number goes up as you have more properties. So when you get to like when you get to like the top end at this, you know, seven to ten, you're talking about six percent um, of the uh, outstanding balance on your mortgages. Yeah. So and it's just. But that's the can the reserve be gifted? No. Okay. When when you when you an investors, everything pretty much has to come from you. It cannot be gifted. Bring up one more point about credit in general, and that's something that wow. you know at all the big all the banks. <laughs> this is not this all, all the banks. They're not going to do this rapid rescore thing because they're like, oh, the oh wait a minute, mm -mm. we don't want to make it seem like that we're structuring. This this deal in any way, so they're not going to do a rapid rescore to any any of the small banks or anything. Because the CFPD yeah. will be like, well, how come you guys? How are much higher are we talking about with this program compared to traditional financing? What? What's so the question? The, the, the sixty days and the two month program. The 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 stated income, the yeah. bank statement program, yeah. the bank statement program. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, are you going to talk about that next? Yeah, are you? Yeah, I was just going to finish up by saying that, yeah. that we can, we can do the rapid rescores. We can work and you know get get the credit score up to get the pricing right, or maybe qualify for the program that wouldn't qualify before because you see on some of these, you know, they're pretty tight on the, the credit scores. So. Hey Han, like for the 16 base transaction, right? What is the rule for that? So over a thousand dollars per transaction, you have to uh, provide mm -hmm. very detailed explanation, right? No, 
there's a way around it or it is okay, <laughs> okay so answer your question nancy so go back to guidelines mm -hmm. i have to source source every deposit that is higher than 50 percent of your income i think it's large deposit guides 25 percent now but um it, it could be 50 50% of your monthly income yeah. or your annual income? income? Monthly. monthly. So if your monthly income... Gross or net? Gross. Can you request another underwriter? I would say possible, but it's possible, but I don't think it's going to happen because because the lender, when they when they assign your file to one underwriter, they don't like to take it away and assign it to another one. They just don't like so that. In another word, there's not going to be an in-house second opinion. No, there is. Um, there is lending manager. If I don't agree with the underwriter, I can go above him and go to the lending manager. But, but that only work when it's black and white. Remember I talk about the, the lease agreement, the, mm -hmm. the 12 months versus the month to month? Mm -hmm. So that's not a judgment call anymore. That's on, on guideline. It say it can be month to month. Mm -hmm. So I went to the lending manager and they come back and they agree with me. But when we talk about the cash deposit of 1900 it's a judgment call. Mm. Do you see what I'm saying? The underwriter can say there's too many. I know, but this red flags on this. You know, red flags in the fire. Too many risks. They they're doing something, and plus this person doesn't have a good credit or something. They can pull up. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think you also have to look at it in terms of underwriters are people too, and they're in the business of getting loans closed. And you know, there are a lot of them, and the conforming underwriters are basically checklist underwriters. It's like okay, check, 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 check. Okay. I, I'm covered myself. I'm not gonna get in trouble here. Let's just you know move it on to the next one. Let's close. Yeah. Get Quick question on underwriters' compensation: Do are they commission based or are they salary based? I think they're salary based with a salary, little bit of bonus. There's probably some, there's okay. probably some uh, unit incentive because I mean so sometimes it, it takes if it's a complicated with like 15. Underwriter um, got something called buyback, buyback, buyback. So when the lender trying to sell the loan to Fannie, right, or Fannie, or investor, they say, no, 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 this is not on my guidelines. You actually didn't see something. You lost it there, so you have to buy back this loan. The lender have to buy it back. Oh. When there's a buyback, it ding on the underwriter record. It's like a material finding. It's something that, you know, they get, they, they don't last long if they get too many of those. Oh. But now back to the, the question he asked, well, they are actually paying by salary plus bonus, but then at a certain degree, they're working on, they're working for the, uh, the clients, which is the borrower, because they have the incentive to close the deal. I would, I don't know if they have the incentive to close the deal because I think most of their, their shop, you know, compensation, I would say salary and a little bit of bonus because they don't, you know, what they, their goal is, I guess to find a happy medium to make me, the broker happy, the customer happy because you know, I would not send them loan if they turned down every of my files, mm -hmm. right? But at the same time, they don't want to get ding on buyback. Right. Yep, that makes sense. Well, I've seen, you know, a lot of it like that John, John Walty. <laughs> he would be like, Richard, I, I'm just, I just, you got all these account statements here. All they need is like, you know, $40,000 to close. Just take all this other stuff out and just, just show the minimum you need. And just, that's the way that conforming underwriters look at it because I've, came from a background where I was doing a lot of non-conforming and they want to see more and more and more and more. Yeah. Hey, so the bank could go after that money, you know, say, hey, I noticed you got like a uh, million dollars over here at this other bank. But uh, anyway, so that's, it, it, it's, it's, they want to 
make it simple, make it so that it's not going to be bought back, and go to the next one. Yeah, he, he brought up a very good point. What the underwriter is saying is that, you know, you, you don't want to show me a lot. If you show me a lot, then I have to condition for it. But now you know why they have to ask all of those so they can do the rental income, the yeah. schedule. Yeah. Okay, so now back to Nancy's question, right? So you show them a bank statement for activity of the month and they see that the 50K in and out, whatever it is, and they start questioning, what is this? What's the reason questioning? Because it's either mine or not mine. If it's for 60 days, mine. If it's not, then it's not mine. Why, why are you questioning where it's coming from? I mean, why the underwriter <laughs> questioning where it's coming from? I mean, because why do you explain every single thing where it's coming from? And you have to source all deposits that are over like 25%, 25 for sure, if it's in the, in, it's in the account, it's your account, then it's yours. <laughs> I think it comes down to guidelines. If it's an investment home, if it's an investment home, the, com the money has to come from you. So they want to see if the money is from you, right? But if you buy a primary home, they don't have to source the money. So they can back out, like whatever you don't want to source, I can just back that out. Whatever I back out, you still have enough left, then right. we're okay. Like again, back to this question, right? So I'm using whatever you choose to refinance it. I'm not using a bank statement to refinance it. Why well, everything has to be explained on a bank statement, pretty much. Yeah. When I refinance, I never show the bank statements. They ask for um, They, hear me out. If, if they are good, they will show the retirement and 401k account. Mm. There's nothing to ask on there. Yeah. What are you going to want to know? There's nothing to ask. That's why I say the importance of having a big 401k and IRA. Mm -hmm. It saves you later on you want to put as a down payment, mm -hmm. and your, but your money's not quite there yet. Show that, and then as long as I care. <laughs> you have the big 401k or a big IRA you borrow. <laughs> but again, like, the question is, why do you need to explain every single amount on my bank statement? Like, um, more than... Would you say go back like Obviously. she's asking why they want to the source everything on your bank her bank account? Pretty much anything like more than a thousand dollars just keep sending me back with a whole list of questions. What's this? What's this? What's this? Like, pretty much everything because of course everything is one thousand dollars for an investor, right? Everything mostly in your account will be a big amount. Not gonna be like fifty dollars. But is it less than fifty percent of your income? Mm -hmm. It's not. It's more than fifty percent. No, 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 it's less than fifty. Then they should not ask you. Yeah, they, like, that's their overlays. Okay. So that's not the, the guy, that's not the standard. Yeah. Okay. So to answer your questions also, I think it has to do with the Patriot Act. They want to make sure there's no money laundering. Mm. There's no, you know. But do you have to answer that question? You can say, I don't want to answer it, back that out. Okay. It's just because you don't want to answer it, it's just annoying. Like, really? I agree. Um, before I go back to the borrower. I mean, I've had people that just were real smart ass about it. You know, <laughs> say, Say something inappropriate. That's how they got it, you know. And then, you know, what are you going to do so about sorry. it? <laughs> Back it out, you know. Yeah. So yeah, it was like I went to you went to a casino and you know, I turned a trick on the corner and then put it in my bag, you know. <laughs> so. Yeah, so before I ask the borrower for anything, usually I would try to back that out first. I just tell my, my underwriter, back that out. I still have enough. You don't have to ask my borrowers. Mm -hmm. and they would do that for me. Because if, uh, going back to um, Hui this morning, he was talking about buying gold, you know, one of the 
Yeah. He's not, I don't know if he's buying, but he's just saying, like, all the stuff. You were able to sleep. You were able to sleep? So, um, I want to touch on that. You can, if you have gold, you bring it to sell it, and you have the bill of sales, and you put the money in your account. I can use that money right away. You just have to keep the bill of sales. So, in case you guys have gold and time to turn that into, you know, put it down payment, you can. Okay. How, how well do you sign that back? <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think it can too, but they need an appraisal, like a, a value oh, on it. Yeah. 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 A pawn shop, you see. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Oh, shoes. So that, that works too? When I started, I same as America, there was a, this is a true example. This guy used a gorilla for down payment. What? <laughs> he, he had a gorilla. And gorilla. he got like uh, all the, you know, so got an appraisal of it and got the zoo that's going to buy it and all the stuff <laughs> and down payment. So, so it works. Yeah. Wow. Dang. Does you can go to Wii U and take anything. <laughs> 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 Bitcoin works here? Um, I have to look it up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You got a lot Bitcoin. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. 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 programs the first one I say stated income right so if you are self-employed and you know you don't report a lot of income so I can all I need is a CPA letter stating that you have been self-employed for more than two years so this program it's they um, they need five percent down only one month of bank statement one month all they don't care how much you deposit what's your ending balance as long as it's not negative that's all they care um, no sourcing no sourcing um, they they don't count the deposits or anything. So they need two years of employment, uh, self-employed CPA letter. And uh, if you have no mortgage, but you need to have some kind of mortgage history on your credit. If you don't, they will want 24 months of rental history and they want 30% down. So 30, so you can, you can look at it as 30% down. And the rate is actually not bad. Uh, the rate, yeah, um, the rate is about, Five percent down if you have mortgage history, like you know. Oh yeah, but all the same thing, I think. We print out. Did it say five percent on yours? No. 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 No.
Oh, yeah, you have more. Okay. Let me see. Oh, maybe you have a special one. You got the teacher's edition. Yes, you, yeah. you have mine, actually. <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah. All right. Yeah, so um, the, the best rate for this program is not bad at 5.124. Um, you want a borrower with a credit score of above 700 really to work for this program and they have a minimum three trade lines and one has to be more than three years and the other two has to be more than two years. Three what? Three trade lines. Trade lines you like credit card. Oh. Mm -hmm. But you have to have a long term of you know using credit history. Okay. Okay. So talking about Jimmy and CPA letter right I actually have an, another lender that they would take a CPA letter if the CPA put on there how much you are making, they would use that as income. So they don't even need pay stuff? No. So this is for anybody, right? Not just for foreigners. This is sick. No, no, no. This is not for foreigners. This is not for foreigners. US citizen, you have to have credit. You have to, yeah. Have credit, okay. Yes. For employment, can you be self-employed? Or it has to be? So two, you can either be self-employed, but you have to verify that self-employed for more than two years, or you can use W, they call it VOE only. So if you are a W-2 person, you go W-2 person, they're not gonna check your W-2, they're not gonna check your pay stub. All they do is that they're gonna send a verifica verification of employment to your employer, and whatever your employer will put on there, they're gonna take that as income. Is that the one that we close together for the other Mexican? No. No. So, I know. So I asked my lender, I say, what the heck? Like, they are W 2, but you're not taking their pay stuff, and they, you, you use a verification of employment. Tell me what market, what kind of borrower would fit into that VOE program? Mm -hmm. And his answer is if you employ for family business, mm -hmm. or you know the owner. Oh. Stated. Stated you on your pay stub, you know, yeah. it's paid to and, and in that case, in order to get the best rate closer to the 5.1%, then all they need really at that time is just 700 or more credit score? Yeah, and uh, probably about 30% down. 30% 30%. 30% down, yeah. What's amortization? Uh, oh, 30 year, 5.1R. Oh, 5.1R. Mm -hmm, yeah, okay. it's not 30 year fixed, oh. it's, yeah. It's amortized for 30 years, but fixed for five years, yeah. yeah. Well, what about uh, uh, the first Yeah, mm-hmm. I have a general question for both this loan and the regular loan. So when you verify <coughs> employment, does it have to be uh, the same, you have to work for the same place over two years to be considered qualified? Because I was told that, uh, I think he changed his job or something, and then the bank was like, Useful job, uh, yeah. I know, I heard that a lot. Same job, be like, yeah, but still. We ha we have to document a two-year history of employment, but we don't have to document you've been working there for two years. Right. Okay. You could, you could be starting like next week. Okay, so it doesn't have to be to qualify. So I got an email from my mortgage broker, different one. This is no. Of course, different. obviously. Is that in like zero percent down for primary residents? There. I, I no, it's real. It's real. Um, that's some special program like down payment. You say like down payment assistance, special program, certain area, right? Yeah. I mean, that's like back in like police. Yeah, that, that feeling is. 
the one I'm thinking of, you know, it's going to be like a, it's going to be a neighborhood specific and an income specific where you can't make more than like, say, $70,000 a year. And uh, it's got to be in a low to mod census tract. Mm -hmm. so, uh, it used to be uh, we get it used to be that we can get paid on rate right Victoria is it right like back then people can get paid on rate if you go with certain rate they get paid more but no now we got paid on the loan amount yeah but uh, from my point of view, if you make income and you don't have enough for 3% down, you want to go with 0% down, usually you have a, not a good credit, you know, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yep, I have program with down payment assistance, but you pay a higher rate. Yeah. Instead of getting a 3.75, you pay 5.5%. So, but. You got like, you got 5% in your mattress. Why would you, we'll go zero down and pay a higher rate. So uh, let's talk about the foreign national. This is my favorite programs. I'm doing them right now. Um, a lot of in, a, a lot of realtors are pushing the, on this product. Very 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 easy. So I have this a uh, Nigerian gentleman. <laughs> I, I I do. He's a princess. He's not. He um. <laughs> So when he first came to me, we are doing a foreign national. He's in Nigeria right now. He has a son here, you know, we were doing the program. And, um, but later on, the lender found out that he has, he has a social, but he has zero credit score. So this program's not gonna work if you have a social or tax identification number. I need you to have nothing, foreign national on a visa or whatever, not have any kind of credit or social or anything. How, how, how can the lender know if you don't provide them? They can pull up out of your name, so, probably. So can the person don't even have a visa, like individuals somewhere else, mm -hmm. you know it exists, mm -hmm. that person is mm -hmm. in another country? Yeah. Okay. And you can do the POA, POA power of attorney, mm -hmm. so you go to your emb embassy in say Vietnam or China, you do, I'm giving my power of attorney to this person in the U.S. to sign the paperwork for me. Yeah. And you can own the property mm -hmm. as a foreigner. Mm -hmm. And all I need is a passport. I need a letter from your bank, your foreign bank, stating that you're in good standing with them. I have a, I have a sample for that. It's pretty simple. What, what is that? Um, so if 30% down, your rate is from 6.25 to 6.75. 6.25 if your loan amount is more than 150. If your loan amount is less than 150, then you 6.75. So 30% down, 6.25. 40% down, 5.875. Okay, now, after that, after they bought the house, can I use the same strategy like you mentioned earlier as investments and then really just keep getting Not with investment with income and Because I would need a credit score. For the, yeah. Okay, so they can. No. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, but they can use the next program that I'm going to talk about. So for this one? Oh, no, they can't either because they don't, this program requires, the third program I'm talking about, they need, they require credit score, but foreign national would not. For how many times can you use the, use this one? Can you use this one many, many times, or is it just one time deal? Good question. I don't know. I'm doing two right now, and they just buying one house. So I'm, I'm going to check on that. I'm going to email you and talk about it. Okay, perfect.
Yeah, because and some of them already bought houses with all cash mm -hmm. in the U.S., let's say, for example. They already start generating rental income, but they haven't filed any tax ID because they haven't passed that one year, you know, like rental history yet. I guess whenever, eventually next year, when it comes up, they have to file a tax return, right, if they have rental income, even, if, even though they're foreign nationals. Then at that time, they will get a tax, a tax ID, ID. Then yeah. they wouldn't qualify Correct. for this one. So they, they have to file everything the first year. Do they have to file tax though? They have to. Even as a foreigner? I think so. It's going to be ITN number. ITN number. So is it required that you file? Is it required? If you have income, you have to file tax. Actually, no, I take it back. No, because if you have a green card, even if you don't live in the US, you're required to pay tax. Right, because it's the old If you're a foreigner, you are not obligated to file US tax. You don't, not, not only they recommend it, if you are planning to become green card or citizenship in the future, then you should start filing tax when you start having reportable income. So it's not required. Oh, so even if you're, 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 well, well, you have to pay tax in the form. If you don't pay tax in the U.S., you have to pay tax in your own country. Yes. yes. You have to so pay tax in your own country. What about if, when there's some scenarios where there are people that were paying rent to at, as, as a they were leasing a house and then the IRS came back at them and took the money from them to pay for the owners back taxes they didn't pay on the, the property, right? Or a, not a property tax, like in, income taxes. But how you going to track cash? Mm -hmm. You put it in the bank, that's one way, but if you don't put it in the bank, keep it on your bed, then who cares? Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's another way to think about it too. Well, well then, let's finish this other one. To buy a house is accessing it. Yeah. Money laundering. Yeah. Okay, you get to the other <laughs> yeah. Crazy Eddie. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's wrap it up. Last one, the SCR is then for debt service covering ratio. Debt service covering ratio. One to one, meaning your, your rental income has to be equals equals of course more than your PITIA of your monthly payment on that house, the principal, mm -hmm. tax, insurance, and HOA. So if you're gonna, under this program, they're gonna, you know, you put down 30%, they're gonna lend you 70%, so your monthly mortgage payment is $700, plus about $500 for taxes and insurance, that's about, you know, 1200 right? And if you can lease it out for at least 1200 then you're okay, they will let you borrow and buy this house. So make because, sure, make sure you stick with 1% rule, mm -hmm. I mean, 100% rule. Do any of these follow the Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac rules? Yeah. So it doesn't fall subject to the 10, 10 rental property ownership rules? Then. I know, no, because when you hit the 10% finance, you have to go with one of these programs. Yeah. Uh, so like, technically, I can do this as many times as I want. Mm -hmm. I, I, I have to check. I think they have a limit of 20, but I, I can check on that. That's fine. Yeah. So oh, basically, the. Down here in the 25%. Uh, 25%, the rate is 5.75. 30%, the rate is 5.5. I mean, it's really good. I mean, if you, right now, if you look at putting down 25 to 30% for conventional, you're looking at the rate of about 4.75, 4.875, and this is only 5.5. I mean, it's higher, but it's not. Sorry, so everything you talk about today is conventional, right? No, no, this, this is not conventional. Oh, okay. this, what is this? This is, but oh, this is. So does it have like the PMI or things like that? Okay. Does it have like, a, like something similar to PMI or things like that? On top? Can I explain that PMI? Oh, PMI. PMI. 
PMI? It does, right? These wouldn't have no. PMI. Okay. Because it's built into the, the risk is built into the, the, you know, the, the rate. The rate. Right. So basically, the 10, 10 property rule has effectively gone away. Because I, whenever you have above 10, you just go for this program. I think it's okay. still foreign but this is no, also the, no, DS, um, not like DSCR DSCR is right? Huh? It's 5-1 uh, arm, but you can you can have it fixed you, but you have to pay them a little bit to get that 30-year fixed. You can, you can pay them. You can pay them later. Okay, so everyone, when it says non-qualified mortgage, qualified mortgage is a mortgage where, you know, the lender has done their job and the, the, the borrower can't come back and sue the lender and make and say, oh, you didn't, you didn't, I wasn't qualified to buy this house, and and the lender has to forfeit their foreclosure rights. It, you know, if, if the lender's done their job, it's a qualified mortgage, they prove the ability to repay. That's 90% of what you see out there. That's the Fannie, Freddie Fannie loans. This is a different area right here, but, you know, there's a market for it, and hey, it's coming. So, hang on, I, I, I look, because I reached my that's why I'm asking you. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. So for this one, so it's based on uh, on a per deal basis. So you don't look at tax return, you don't look at income, you don't look at anything. They look at your 1003. Your 1003 is your applications. Okay. On the application, they'll have your name, your address, your date of birth, your socials, and all of the property listed under your name. Right. Okay, and your income is stated. Everything is stated on it's there. stated uh -huh. income, okay. Uh -huh. And as long as your rate, your debt to income ratio. I know it sounds weird. As long as your debt to income ratio is still under fifty percent, then they're okay. But but it's but, stated. but it's stated. Okay, they're not gonna you. check. I got you. Okay. So that income, that's income, that income including W two and all the no, income. just the ratio. Right. The the fifty percent. Yes, it's include your W two and everything else. Okay. But you don't have yeah. to provide support. Yeah. Okay. So technically, you can make a million. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> make sure you have, know exactly what your liabilities are before you. Say what your is. Yeah. But they're gonna pull your credit. Oh yeah, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They go show all, they go see all your yeah. Okay, so you say you make a million to cover everything. Is but what I, you say? No, no. But I, but as long as your credit score is really high, then like, uh, well, do they look into the details of your credit report, or do they only look at the score, or do they say okay, he has like car houses and all that? To be that? honest, I I'm doing the foreign national right now. I'm doing two DS two or three, three DSCR right now. Yep. So I don't know how I'm doing it right now. So I don't want to give you an answer that is wrong. Okay. So I think this topic, maybe I have to save it till next time when I have to go gone through, you know, several yeah. deals to know exactly. Okay. Yeah. Okay, next meeting. <laughs> <laughs> so if you still want me back. Okay, a quick question. Um, what is the investor rate, interest rate? You say 25% down, the rate is like 4.7, 4.6, 4.7. Really? That's actually better now. Yeah. I think I can refinance a little more. I think it's 4.5, yeah. 2, and I paid a couple points down to get to 5.2. Yeah. yeah. Uh, um, so but you want, you want your loan amount to be large, too. When the loan amount is less than 120, we got hit with higher rates. Yeah. Less than is higher rate? Mm -hmm. Okay. What is that rate if it's lower than 120? Um, yeah, I I. Is it below 5% or no? I have to price it out. It's very easy. You guys go to loanfactory.com. You can play with it. Okay. You can put in your info and then so it will pop up. The, so the and then that rate is for 30 days? Or? 
No, it's only for that one day. Oh. <laughs> and you can set the rate alert. It will text you or email you the rate every day. That's good. Yeah. Okay. And so this is not just for primary, right? This can be investment. Like this is not. Exactly. This is anything yeah. that you. The foreign national and the DSCR has to be investment. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. And the other one that's on the top, this one, it's for primary or for investment? Yeah. Okay. For primary, yeah. For primary only? Um, would, yeah. would you say for investment, would they... Stated income? I, I don't... I, I think that that's a, a primary, but I, I don't... We so will do a takeaway. You know how they did? So, like, they will grow under this then? Like, remember a couple months ago? Yeah, yeah. Okay, <laughs> all right, I got you now. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did financing. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, man, I wish I knew about this earlier. I know, I know, me too. Um, because I have some other lender that, you know, I, lender comes to me, email us every day with new programs and stuff, but their rate was a little bit higher, you know, like, 30% down, the rate like 7% or 7.5 or whatever. I was like, this go private lending, you know, what the heck. But now this program have, you know, better rate. Mm -hmm. So it's worth it now yeah. to do it. So uh, there's prepayment penalty. Uh, if you pay off within the first year, there's 2% penalty. If you pay off in the second year, there's 1% penalty of the outstanding <coughs> loan balance. Mm -hmm. After that, there is no penalty. What is the average closing cost? On the it's very typical. Uh, typical, the, 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 the lender is going to take uh, $12.95, so it's about $1,300 to underwritten the loan. Um, on the, all the rates that I'm giving you guys uh, does not include my broker fees on them. My broker fees is about 2%. So I can waive the broker fees, but the rate is going to increase about half a point. Mm -hmm. So you know how I give you like the foreign national of like 6.25, right? I can, you don't have to pay me 2% two per, two but your rate's going to be 6.75. Okay. Okay. So have you calculated the difference, which one is more beneficial? Mm, yeah, I, I think we sh could be able to do that, but I haven't done you so haven't yet. Done it? Yeah. Yeah. You can, you can do it for if you want. <laughs> and the, what about the closing period? Is it like average 25 to 30 days or longer? Oh, uh, I would say tech, you, you, you really want to set 45 days. 45 days. Because the thing about this, this, this program is that there's no guidelines on them. Mm -hmm. uh, the investor change <coughs> rules all the time. The underwriter complains to me, you know, even Han, like they change it all the time. I don't even think the investor know what they want. Yeah. There's right. no handbook for it. So I have to. So it changes all yeah. the time. Yeah. So for this one, can you buy with cash for foreign nationals, right? For example, can you buy with cash and then go through the loan to refinance cash out? Yeah. Well, this is the only qualifies for the, the loan, initial loan. They mentioned about refinance on there, but I haven't done any refinance okay. yet. Okay. Yeah. Okay. If you guys have any questions, specific questions, you know, that I don't know, email me and then mm -hmm. I'll forward I'll it to the investor and yeah. then they can get back. Yeah. Sounds good. Thanks to Nancy Zhang for inviting Han and Richard to our meeting, and they share so many great gold nuggets and just blew our minds. If you want to learn more details about the different loan programs and how to qualify for them, please contact their office at 832-990-9999 or email Han at hanh at loanfactory.com or Richard at Richard 
dot Blanchard B L A N C H A R D at LongFactory.com, and their office is located at one zero five one five Belair Boulevard, Suite Z. As always, thanks to Ben Sound for providing music. Thank you so much for listening, and please leave us a rating review on iTunes to support the podcast. Thank you so much, and see you on the next episode.